Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook, add a cuppa, and join me in the Sociology Staff Room. Hello, and welcome to the Sociology Staff Room. I'm Katie Tyler, and I've got a lovely guest today, very excited, not only a guest, but also a friend, um, Steph Nichols, who is an assistant head, and I know has a passion for teaching and learning, though I know you do lots of roles within your assistant head role, um, historically and, and now. And currently, you are also a team manager for Team Icons, for those people that might be familiar with that. Um, obviously, you host not only the sociology, or host, but organise behind the scenes sociology, history, English, maths and so on and so on so first of all thank you for spending your afternoon with me ah oh, it's an absolute pleasure oh thank you always a pleasure and a joy for me too Steph so uh, lots of questions I have and I thought my sort of title for today I was thinking about a working title was fad or favourite okay uh, around sort of teaching and learning you know is it a fad or is it a favourite and sort of really as us as practitioners finding out and sort of navigating with someone that I know is super in interested and intelligent around uh, pedagogy is just, you know, just just sort of discussing some things I know we talk about um, both in the, over in the corridors or it might be stuff that we talk over the phone. I know that we talk a lot about what's going on in teaching and learning. So first of all, my question for you, Steph, is what currently is on trend? Because I'm not a big Twitter gal, um, and I know you love a little bit of Twitter. So first of all, tell me what's on trend? What am I missing out in the world of Twitter? I'm not sure if you're missing out. I think it's very much a choice if you want to be on Twitter or not. But for me, I think there's three divisions in terms of being a teacher and a leader. Um, I'm always researching about different subject specific content and dialogue and discussions. And in my case, I suppose, as a historian and a politics teacher, um, I then kind of compartmentalise that with my leadership roles, my responsibilities, teaching and learning and thinking about that wider reading. So in terms of history, if you like, um, a lot has happened in the last two to three academic years in terms of race, diversity of the curriculum, that retelling of the stories, inclusion, untold stories and histories. And it's really an exciting time for history specialists, uh, particularly at Key Stage 3, because we've been able to rework our curriculums as the Key Stage 4 and 5 is so he heavily directed. It's an opportunity to kind of open up our curriculum and for students and academics actually to publish work which is allowing that to occur so for example in my last school and my new school we've been doing peter frankopan with the silk roads and his new publications david olasogu to work on being black and british and that adapt and changing and that research and content that's coming out has been really useful and it's a step forward i think for teaching and learning for historians to evaluate what's historically significant but it's not just history, obviously. Teaching and learning, there's been so much that's happened since COVID. And there's been a massive development in terms of literacy focus, um, reading, writing, and oracy. You know that that's a massive passion of mine. And I did a lot of reading, Alex Quigley, Doug Lamov. And this is the heart of schools having to change and adapt what they do. Um, I do believe that we have a moral duty as professionals. So the students leave school with that ability to be able to manage their day-to-day -day lives and be literate. And it's all those kind of forms that open doors, not leaves them with closed doors. So being able to have that freedom to, as a professional, my last school gave me that opportunity to research, investigate, triangulate that data and with my colleagues, we were able to create something really bespoke that 
was founded in research and development and made a difference to those students. Um, things on trend, I would say retrieval practice is massively mm. and a mass movement, as is questioning those principles, instructions, whether you absolutely love it or you absolutely loathe it. And those coaching and mentoring models, they really are what people are pushing at the moment, books, articles etc etc send for me is my my new passion not new but it's very much on the agenda at the moment i've been lucky enough to be part of a, a, a scheme with the eef more recently and that's been fantastic and something i'm really interested in because of my new role in inclusion i've done lots of reading because as a historian that's what i do and research but more recently i, I needed to get a handle on this and you can't do that if you don't do any reading so Another bit, I suppose, is that kind of coming back full time, people are starting to think about that division of pastoral and curriculum. I was always curriculum academic side and other people did pastoral. Um, but what happens now is I think there's a lot more of those blurred lines. And my new job is massively more blurred. And we're looking more at the whole child, um, which is dividing that, you know, that academic and pastoral, and we're kind of recognising that that's not maybe the way to go anymore. So things are moving forward, I would say, massively in terms of that. Um, I suppose lots of people, if you're talking about other trends, is doing MPQs. So I am currently doing one of those, and it's given me time to think about things. Um, lots of people have found them good. Some people have found them less good. I think that definitely is with the provider that you're with. Um, but it's my one has given me the opportunity to do something different and take a step back. Sometimes you don't do that. I'm, I would say I'm a relatively experienced leader now, but I am someone who always doesn't think I'm finished. So yes, I'm on the Twitter as my husband calls it the Twitter. Um, but it is for those reasons that it, it allows me to not rest on my laurels. Um, think about things, lead a team that, you know, you're prepared to do stuff that, and you're prepared to put yourself out there and I think if you don't do that if you become stagnant as a professional then you never so it's not about I know you're talking about fads and I'm not sure I like that word or not because things are cyclical as a historian I'm going to say that and I'll talk something maybe later about what that that looks like but I think it's an opportunity to do but recognise where there are fads and where where things are actually for the greater good. And I think some good things have come out of the COVID changes and has meant that maybe there is an opening up of, of certain things. And obviously the last one, which we've been chatting about lots, is the um, AI stuff, um, uh, which I know either teachers are going to be really excited about or completely scared. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot there that's like, Wow, like, this is why I love talking to you, Steph. This is exactly what I love. Okay, this is what I need more of in my life. Okay, it are these conversations because you just get me thinking. It's good to sort of bounce ideas with people. And I, I think sort of what I can juice it from. I know that obviously you're a historian, but there's a massive overlap with obviously history and, and sociology. Um, you know, there's lots of you talked about is of the decolonization of the curriculum, and obviously for us as, as sociology teachers, we we recognise how important that is in regards to sort of evaluating the education system as part of our uh, topic and even myself I know that I've spoken with previous guests how I'm sort of investigating the dis decolonization of sociology myself um, uh, and really breaking that down so I think it's really important to highlight that which you have done and then obviously you've just spoken about earlier as well is not just the, the content but also talking about um, 
making sure that you're sort of carrying on with your action research yourself you know that like you said your words not resting on your laurels and that's really really important as well um and obviously you talked about things that are very important at the moment within teaching um and like you use the word cyclical we know that sort of retrieval practice and modeling has been something that's been done historically and then maybe you've gone to the wayside and then come back in um and so maybe it's something we're asking a minute about is it a fad or is it a favorite you know if, if it's something that works we might forget about it and it doesn't become part of our arsenal as such and then it comes back in um so there's lots to that and lots of like I interesting think, ideas i think i've been really lucky because being part of like tm icons and all of that that massively pushed me out of my comfort zone but i wanted to do something which would have an impact on my teaching and learning um and i'm a much better teacher than i have ever been purely because i've learned from other people and I, I want to be able to to have that benefit for my students. That's really important to me. And we used to love collaborating all the time, I know. And just having those conversations can actually spark new ideas or, or do something. I do use social media. I know that sometimes I don't, I'm not on anything other than education, um, but that <laughs> really helps me think about, I know, but that really helps me think um and an opportunity to have conversations with other people that I never would have done um I never would have managed to reach out to other people you know like um Kim Constable you know she we, we're it's really lovely to have different conversations not just with fellow historians but you know with uh, politics with geographers when we had something at the week and that was really exciting and not just subject specific because I think sometimes as a secondary teacher, you kind of go down this rabbit hole of this is my subject. And I don't think mm -hmm. our primary colleagues do that. They very much work collaboratively as a unit, whereas sometimes as secondary teachers, we don't do that because we're like, no, sociology is the best. History is the best. <laughs> da, 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 da. And you kind well, of obviously sociology is the best. I can weave any conversation back into sociology. But yeah, I mean, I think it is that sort of like collaboration with that. I mean, joking aside, you know, you know, sitting within faculties where you're talking with geographers and, and historians and, and, and so on, you can sort of share good practice. Um, and you talked about oracy, which is something that we've had a previous guest, uh, Amy, talk about and the importance of that um, and that students develop that oracy so they're able to, and it isn't just having chat for chat's sake, it's purposeful um, and thinking about students constructing meaningful answers that would, one, help obviously their learning, but also help like you've said in in future life so sort of taking a segue into sort of thinking about this sort of i, I know you didn't like the word fatal favorite i know but i was trying to think of a catchy title for today and i think duncan would pre appreciate a fad, uh, a fad favorite title um but you know how do we distinguish particularly i suppose there's a couple of people that that may or may not feel like oh here we go again you've maybe got the more experienced teacher who has seen that cyclic moment movement come in and are like, look, we tried it the first time, it didn't work the second time or the third time, potentially, depending on how old you are in the teaching profession. And also you've got these sort of ECTs that are like, whoa, there's a lot, there's a lot here. What, I mean, how do we distinguish? Like how, so there's two different audiences and then you've got people probably like myself and you who are like, there's so many exciting stuff, what should we do first? Um, which I suppose is a third audience, so it's sort of over me, I can only talk about myself, but maybe over enthusiastic and then how do we know what, what to pursue? Um, you know, how do we know, like, okay, that's just something that we can park for now and that's worth investing our time in. 
I think uh, for me, it is really hard. Um, but I was lucky, I suppose, in my early career. Um, I was guided by some really great colleagues and um, they were quite honest and open with us. So my uh, NQT back in the day, um, head of department, really hammered home like there's loads of stuff going on. So when in 2005 I started teaching, it was all about de Bono's hats and learning styles. Mm -hmm. And now obviously everybody has debunked and this outrageous, ridiculous. And actually he really said to us when we were together as NQTs, it was about getting the basics right. So the basics that you had then have the building box. So there are things that are fads, which absolutely happen, but this like we chose as an NQT kind of group to focus on effective what you back in the day was differentiation now scaffolding and that we felt learning the nuts and bolts getting our kind of reading right getting what we were doing in the lesson right you know ultimately you know when i introduced that at my at our old school at how getting the nuts and bolts sometimes fads can come and go but it's really about taking that kind of decision as an older member of staff looking at impact for me uh, or as our friend said, does it make the boat go faster? So uh, if it impacts on the students, they're learning their outcomes and their skills. If you can't answer that question, that it has an impact on their learning, on what they their outcomes ultimately will be, then probably it's a fad and something that someone's making some money out of in terms of a book or there are opportunities that teachers who don't want to be teachers anymore are trying to sell you something. So it's kind of wading Very through diplomatic. that. <laughs> oh, I've lost my earphone. Hang on. So it's then been just, yeah, about what actually benefits you. And it's kind of wading through your context as well, because it's lovely to say that you could pick something up and go, do you know what? That's perfect for my students when actually, you know, the context of my, my new school is massively different to the context that I was previously in. And I've had to change and adapt my lessons massively and realizing that things that would have worked there absolutely won't work here. And it's kind of, it is, I think it's very hard for ECTs, particularly ECT1, ECT2 and early careers teachers. They're now come through COVID and COVID teaching where they've had online support versus you know we've been talking a lot at SLT about their resilience in terms of knowing what marking looks like what that feels like and what the kind of day-to-day -day grind of, of not that teaching is a grind but it's that day-to-day -day recognizing that that is what the profession is and rather than going oh let's do rose and shine for six months then change it then change it back I think that's something as an SLT you need to be massively mindful of because you will get that person who is that gorilla at the back going okay in 1970 you told me this and whatever and oh god here we go again within 12 months you're changing stuff and you kind of have a responsibility as SLT to make sure that that doesn't happen so that they have consistency. Yes, pushes on things because you have to do that strategically, but not changing the nuts and bolts. Mm. But I think lots I think of schools have gone faddy. Yeah, no, you said really some really powerful things there that I was sort of like digesting. I think one that you said is getting those nuts and bolts in place that, you know, I suppose it goes that word quality first teaching, isn't it? That if you've got that right, within the classroom um i can't think of anything for old, old things for me one of the things that I would be lucky in the nuts box was uh 
Dilly Williams in the Black Box, do you know what I mean? And sort of assessment for learning and and then obviously stuff about obviously sociology teachers talk about a lot, but um teacher student relationship in sort of uh the sort of labelling theory with uh goodness me <laughs> Rose and Simon Jacobson um, and stuff like that. I was about to like forget my sociologists there. But then you've also got things like you said, is the context of the school and remembering the context of the school. Um and so one teaching tool might work in one but not necessarily in another which I think is so you know such an important thing and I know that myself I've learned that myself as well just in the last couple of weeks and months that what worked one place doesn't necessarily work with that place and also not just within the same school different cohorts of students I'd imagine that would be the situation. Oh, definitely depending you know if you like for example I teach mixed ability say year seven um and what that looks like is very different if you're teaching sets and how that works what you provide for those students and once you like you said once you build up relationships with them you can take risks and if you see something you think oh that is exciting you could take a risk um but i think as an ect or ect1 ect2 they're less likely to do that you know i'm quite long in the tooth so i'm quite happy to take a risk i did that today actually we have a, a trainee and he came to watch me and i was like oh do you know what i'm just gonna do it and uh at the end he was like okay did you plan that i was like no not really i just thought i'd see how it goes and um i'm glad i did what was the risk what was the risk what was the risk well, it was just doing something. Well, it was just doing something a that's out of my comfort zone. I'm teaching a new topic I've not taught before, and just getting them to do and think differently and try doing it without all that help and support. I thought, you know what? I've built them up over the last six weeks. If I don't try it now, I'm never going to do it. So it's, it's taking that risk of putting stuff away and just hoping they do it. And they did, and they flourished, and they were brilliant, and they had such a sense of achievement going out you know, off to their, where were they going? Off to their French or Russian lesson and they massively enjoyed it. And I'm glad I did. And he wrote loads of yeah. notes. So obviously it must've been all right. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think it's like trying those risks, but with groups, you know, that wouldn't be totally freaked out by that and would disrupt their learning. And then it goes back to the first thing you said was, well, what's the value? You know, I think you sort of use the analogy of the boat, but basically at the end of the day, if it's not going to be beneficial to students, maybe you shouldn't be doing that um, at all. So my sort of, I'm conscious of your time and I know that we've got lots of questions here, but one I want to sort of ask you is, what's been in your toolbox, Steph, since day one? Like, so you started off in 2005 as a teacher. Wow. It's now 2023. What thing have you not, in your metaphoric teaching toolbox, what have you kept as a constant? Okay, so um, definitely assessment for learning like you were talking about in terms of all the context of formative, summative assessment, it massively helps me give you an accurate picture of where the students are, what I need to do and what I need to improve. I am a reflective practitioner and I think at the start I wasn't. I thought, do you know what, I'll have my lessons, everything will be planned and then that's it. And you kind of feel that that's never something that's going to change. And then you kind of realise actually, no, that's not how it works. So for me, my lessons which promote kind of wider skills. So at the moment, well, my PGC actually is history with citizenship. 
which is back in the day, it was very popular in 2005. Um, so <laughs> critical thinking is really important to me. So I do have a year eight and a year 10 citizenship group this year. And it's been fabulous getting them to do critical thinking. And I've really enjoyed that because um, my school does the uh, international baccalaureate. We do like theory of knowledge and those kind of things. That learner profile really is kind of the core of what we get them to think about. So uh, what else? Supporting the students to take responsibility, I think, for their own learning. That can be really hard. Um, at my last place, I had a bottom set year eight and it it took me probably till February half term to get them to believe what we were doing was okay. And I had, as you know, a wonderful uh, learning support assistant who was amazing with them. And just every lesson we were like, should we just go for it? And getting them to be independent by the end of the academic year was something I was really proud of. And it is something that you can do and not allow those, those limits that you can set. Oh, they're bottom set, they're not gonna do this. Well, that's not the way I think. And I was very much passionate about that from the start um because that's really important um what else being honest i suppose and a reflective practitioner is really important to me um and giving that kind of honest feedback and having two members of staff but also being saying to them please tell me what you think you know i'm not the be all and end all i'm not the oracle and learning kind of what you think is important and making sure that if there are things that you think should change in your lesson and you know we've moved from differentiation to scaffolding and how um I, someone used an analogy that i was we you don't want scaffolding on your house forever do you so it's how you then make that step to having the building work done giving them the building blocks and then you step away and how you can manage to i quite like that analogy that's quite a quite a yeah, good one that's a good one and for me i suppose always as as we're you know everyone says we're all teachers of sen but we are also teachers of literacy and as a historian i take that really seriously so making sure you know that our children do complete the reading the writing and are able to do that in history lessons so they don't just see it as a oh i've got to write another essay or how you can do things differently to impact their overall literacy not just their writing um they love, you know, reenacting things or being in a in a courtroom, and that has massive cross curricular links, which you never thought you would be able to do, but you you can. Um, one thing I suppose for me, um, which I encourage all my ECTs to do, was teach without technology. I know that sounds mad, and we all love technology, and I'm really grateful for what technology can do. However, I think lots of teachers rely on tech so much that actually. I used to make our ECTs do two or three lessons or our trainees with no technology and you could see the fear in their face. But, you know, we had a, an occasion not long ago where our whole network went down. So we literally had to teach without it. And I think lots of some teachers had a heart attack. Well, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It teaches you resilience to be adaptive, um, et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, Everyone loves a visualizer. Well, 25 years ago, we had an OHP, and that's a visualizer. So we actually found in the history cupboard an, an OHP and gave it a go. We all did. You know, I mean, but it does work and it can work. And it's just about finding things that are, like I said, your building blocks and then changing and adapting as you go through. Like 2005 is such a long time ago, which, which it definitely is. But I learned a lot from my first school about student relationships. And I think for me, that's one of my biggest takeaways. They're really important in terms of allowing your students 
to do what you need them to do, but giving them their your trust and saying to them, I believe that you can and you will. And I suppose that's one of the things I always say, you can and you will, not you can't and you won't. Oh, thank you for that. I, I was still, I have another question, but I feel like maybe I'll say that for another time because I quite like that ending. I like, well, not quite. I like that ending statement. I think that was really good. Like, I think we, it seems a, a natural place for it to finish. Um, and hopefully I'll, we can get you I on. I feel like I've talked loads. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. I think it was amazing. I think it's really nice to hear all those different things. And I like that sort of ending of what you said. So, Seth, thank you for your time. I'm not going to add any more to that. I think that was beautiful. Um, and I hopefully will get you on again for my last sort of three questions. Um, I'm sorry. To ask you. <laughs> no, don't thank you ever so much and have a lovely evening. Look, my face, it keeps on stalling on this. Have a, have a lovely evening. You take care, my lovely. See you later. Bye-bye. The Sociology Stuff Room is brought to you by tutor to you Sociology. Find us at tutor2u.net forward slash sociology or follow us on Twitter at tutor 2 or Instagram at tutor 2 You can also join our very lively Facebook groups for sociology teachers. See you soon.